The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. My goodness me, we've got a busy day for you. It's one of those shows where if you want to know more about what the corporate environment is, you will find out today. We've literally got 8, 10, 12 CEOs and CFOs. So let's get to the headlines anyway. So US equities on track for their fourth monthly gain, but investors turn cautious, pulling out of tech stocks actually, uh, as attention turns to today's inflation reading for clues on the Fed's rate path. U.S. lawmakers reaching a tentative deal to avert a partial government shutdown, whilst the Senate Republican leader, long-term Mitch McConnell, actually announces he's stepping down from that role, at least, after the election in November. The year of the dragon, breathing new life into Chinese equity markets, rebounding sharply despite recent volatility. But the Shanghai Composite on track for its best month since November 2022. Apple CEO Tim Cook says the U.S. tech giant is pouring money into artificial intelligence, teasing a major announcement for later this year. And strong sales in China sent revenues 17% higher at luxury fashion retailer Moncler. But the CEO still flags an unpredictable operating environment. Good morning. Welcome back from your tour de force in Catalonia. You were, you were very, very good, as was Arjun Thank and the rest you. of the team. Thank you. Yes, um, and you want a nice quiet day today? Absolutely. Just sort of settled back into the studio. Tough luck. <laughs> and it's the kind Except of day... Thursday. No, you've got no chance. Uh, it's the kind of day where producer Brittany is, is in terror of us ad-libbing and going too far in one because she's got this really tight rundown. So I shall I should pontificate no more and get straight into it because she's already one minute behind. Um, right, OK. And how's a bush? <laughs> Look at the five-year chart. It's underwhelming, to say the least. Um, that's uh, a 12-month chart, which is absolutely fine because it, five years is even great. But th- there you go. That's what I mean about underwhelming. There, there's no clear path after that decline from the 90 uh, euros it was trading at in 19, uh, 2019, is there? So it's been stuck in a rut, although the valuation is... It's not paltry, it's 18 times forward, which of course, as you all know by now, is around about five points higher than the average of the euro stocks, which trades around about 13 times. But what's the company saying today? Well, we expect our EBITDA to grow in line with medium term outlook of between 4.8%, um, or 4 to 8%, I beg your pardon. Uh, the outlook for 2024 reflects our current assessment of inflation, other macro economic conditions. Um, There's a bit on there, net interest um, expenses and from the pension. I don't think that's of total interest to you. Uh, CapEx. So we expect net CapEx between four and four and a half billion US dollars in 2024. Um, I'm trying to find something that's really fascinating and that's going to move the needle for you. Margins look very, very solid at 53.9%. I'll give you the adjusted EBIT figure, 3.49 billion. Uh, the adjusted EBIT margin, 24.1. Do you know, I'm going to park that there because I think we've got an awful lot to go through. Safe to say the shares traded a premium to the broader market, but have been underwhelming in their performance in the last year, doing absolutely diddly. Um, very interesting to just have a quick look at the yield on this one. Only 1.3%. You didn't use the word premiumization once then. 
No, because do you know what? We're, we're falling into their trap if we do that. I honestly don't want to say the buzzwords that the company wants, the companies want us to say, whether it's Diageo, whether it's Pernod Ricard, whether it's Heineken, whether it's Anheuser-Busch as well. They and all like this. Food company too. Yeah, premiumization. But it, it's, it's their way of saying we're going to add fatter margin mm. for more expensive goods. Yeah. Uh, and that's how we're going to make our edge. That's how we're going to make our alpha, so to speak, as well. Whether it works or not in this current environment where there is a bit of an issue with brand, and you talked about it a lot as well, remains to be seen. Let's put a cork in this one for now and push on. We do will you put be a speaking. Cork in bit, I suppose you do, <laughs> don't you? Yes. Or some of the wines, anyway. We'll be speaking to a slew of top executives throughout today's show on another big earnings day here in Europe including the bosses of NN Group, LSEG, Halion and Convestro. Stay tuned for those interviews later in the show. The second reading of U.S. fourth quarter GDP was revised down to 3.2% annualised growth from the previously reported 3.3% figure. A downward revision to private inventory investment weighed on growth, even as consumer spending grew 20 basis points more than previously reported. Right, the New York Fed President John Williams told reporters that December's forecast for policymakers of three rate cuts this year is still a reasonable starting point. There you go. Uh, he said the central bank can achieve its policy goals, but warned of bumps along the road towards 2% inflation. The Boston Fed President Susan Collins says rate cuts will likely be appropriate later in the year and rates should be reduced gradually to allow the central bank to manage risk. I don't know how any of you can trade on the back of these comments because, quite frankly, they're rather repetitive from the central bankers, aren't they, at the moment? More evidence needed, Karen, and yet the market's just having a little bit of a breather yesterday. But again, it's been a very solid month for US indices. Yeah, I mean, we've rallied a lot, haven't we? Uh, despite the fact that uh, investors are still looking for fresh clues on monetary policy, the earnings, the AI hype driving a lot of the action we've seen on the stock market. But the PCE outdated today, the preferred gauge of inflation for the Fed. So just a, an element of caution creeping back into the markets. In terms of what we had yesterday, in session, a retreat, as you can see, for the Nasdaq down just over half of a percent. That's where you saw some of the, the concentration of selling. But uh, elsewhere across the course of the trading month, it's still been a much firmer one for major markets. Uh, look at Treasuries as we get set up for the BC later on. You can see we are 4.28 percent at the 10 year at this stage, the short end 4.65 percent. I'm going to roll through and take you to the dollar. I think a lot of the action has been elsewhere. Uh, the yen, for instance, the market looking at comments that we've seen from a Bank of Japan board member suggesting it is time to now consider overhauling ultra-loose monetary policy that it must be done. So effectively, March and a rate hike back on the table for some watching the action across in Japan. Elsewhere, it's been Bitcoin too, as we've seen another rally in the crypto space. To the Asian markets and uh, the trade today, a little bit mixed. We've got gains out of the Chinese market, much firmer trade there, over 1% in the green. Australia marching positive too. Elsewhere, some retreat uh, fade for stocks out of Japan and fairly flat out of Hong Kong. To US futures, the early indication today ahead of that uh, big data point, as you can see, is a little bit soggy. We're not straying too far from the flat line at this point. Yeah, and I think that's because everyone's looking at the Fed's preferred PC inflation gauge later today with annualised headline inflation expected to tick down to 2.4% according to a Reuters poll. Core PC inflation, though, is seen falling uh, 10 basis points to 2.8%. Now, US congressional leaders have reached agreement to avert a potential government shutdown. The House and the Senate will vote on a short-term funding bill this week to allow for more time to finalise a long-term spending plan. CNBC's Emily Wilkins filed this report. 
Congressional leaders reached a deal Wednesday afternoon that looks like it will stop a potential government shutdown from taking place at the end of Friday. Lawmakers, both in the House and Senate, Democrats and Republicans, agreed to delay a little bit longer so they have more time to work on the details of government spending bills. They've set two new deadlines now where government funding will run out, one next Friday on March 8th and the other one several weeks from now on March 22nd. They're also dividing up the bills that fund the government, making sure to do the ones where they've made a lot of progress and can easily get them done by March 8th, and saving some of the trickier ones for later in the month to give appropriators and lawmakers more time to work through the details. While this is a bipartisan agreement, not everyone on Capitol Hill is happy. Several Republican lawmakers, particularly those in the House, have been pushing against another stopgap measure, saying that at this point, Congress just needs to go forward with funding the rest of the fiscal year at current levels and have a spending cut to reduce funding. However, at this point, it does seem like Congress would either be able to completely avoid a shutdown or have a short one that goes into the weekend, depending on how quickly both chambers can cast the bill and get it to Biden's desk. For CNBC Business News, I'm Emily Wilkins. To politics and Republican Senate leader Mitch McConnell will step down in November. McConnell, who is the longest serving party leader in the U.S. Senate's history, will serve out the rest of his term to 2027 in the upper house. Speaking to reporters, McConnell said it is time for the next generation of leadership. Erbile. Well, Karen, coming up on the show, Apple CEO Tim Cook says the company is investing significantly in artificial intelligence. Even teasing a major announcement later this year, we'll discuss all of that next. Plus, a warm and cozy year at Montclair. Sales at the Italian luxury outwear company rise 17% amid strong performance out in Asia. We'll have details of that this hour and we'll have more on the earnings front today. So do stay tuned for an interview then with the LSEG CEO, David Schwimmer. That's coming up at 8.10 CET. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Apple CEO Tim Cook said the company is investing significantly in artificial intelligence. Apple has yet to release products competing with the likes of Google's Gemini, but Cook teased a major announcement later this year. The remarks followed shareholders rejecting a proposal that would have compelled the company to release a report on AI risks. I've got to say, if AI doesn't come to Apple soon, then they are very much behind the game from everything I've just seen at Mobile World Congress this week. We've seen all sorts of prototypes with AI and device. We've seen a whole bunch of companies releasing AI products. That's okay. Uh, History would say that's okay for Apple. Apple has never had first mover advantage on any product hardly. It actually looks at what the rivals are putting out, says, okay, that's a winner, that's a loser, that's a winner, that's a winner. We can do this, but we can do it better. They've used second mover advantage so many times in their history with new technologies. 
Any other company, I hear what you're saying, but Apple, I don't worry about them having second mover advances because yeah. they've got such a sticky ecosystem. It's different this time is how quickly the technology is moving though. Well, then, then no wait for the better back. technology if it's moving quicker. NN Group posted a four-year net income of 1.2 billion euros on the back of record net inflows at its pension business. The Dutch insurer also raised its four-year dividend by 15% and announced a structural increase of its share buyback program to 300 million euros. David Nibby joins us now, the CEO of NN Group. Thank you very much for joining us, David. Let me get into the health of the organisation as we look at the solvency to ratio that you've posted today. You call it a robust 197%. But what we had at the, the halfway point was higher than that. So it seems like you've made no further mileage. If anything, there's been slippage in the second half. Yes, good morning. Uh, indeed, our solvency came in at 197%, which is a, a, a very strong percentage. Uh, I would also argue it's a higher quality uh, percentage because, for example, we settled the, the unit-linked uh, litigation. We have reduced our overall longevity risk. Um, so many good things also happened in terms of, uh, of risk management of our, uh, of our balance sheet. And, uh, and because of this strong number, we were also able to increase our, uh, our dividend, our recurring dividend, uh, with 15%. And we have announced that our recurring buyback, that used to be $250 million, that we have increased that to, to $300 million. So So all of this is a testament of that uh, we're actually very comfortable uh, uh, with the strength of our balance sheet. There are a couple of favourable aspects here. If we take a look at the inflows, that's still very strong. You've got record net inflows, 2.3 billion euros, but also the banking environment with high interest rates. How much of this is going to get more challenged as we see uh, rate cuts that are on the horizon this year? Well, indeed, the bank was was supported by by rising interest rates and and savings rates tend to uh, adapt a little bit slower to uh, to interest rates. So I think some of that effect will probably uh, will probably uh, slow down. Even though we still still forecast that uh, the bank will actually still exceed its target of uh, of 80 million uh, operating capital generation. Um, so that's still very um, a very good news. I think overall uh, the the inflow of pension we continue to expect strong inflow there. Uh, this is all before the pension reform. The, the Dutch pension reform has uh, started in the, the summer of this year. Uh, so we continue to expect a, a shift to defined contribution pensions. Uh, we saw a, a record inflow of 2.3 billion, uh, last time around 2 billion. So we expect to, a continued uh, a growth of our DC pension business. And this is because not only there's a shift to DC, but also uh, it will be supported by the, uh, by the ongoing pension reform. David, um, I have never seen so many buybacks out of European companies, and I've been covering this for decades as well. In fact, I reckon this is probably a record buyback quarter for European companies. Why are you jumping on the bandwagon? You've got a fat dividend anyway. You don't need to do a buyback, do you? Well, we have uh, in, in 2020, we announced our capital return policy in which we said we want to offer a progressive dividend and a recurring buyback of 250 million. So you have seen us actually consistently doing a, uh, a buyback combined with a, uh, with a dividend. The only difference now is that because of the strength of our balance sheet, because our operating capital generation was again up 13%, and we've been consistently growing our capital generation, we were um, uh, you know, very comfortable with our results, and that meant that we increased our recurring buyback from 250 to 300 million. But our buyback has been consistently part of our, our policy for for many years now. I get that, David. But when you speak to BlackRock, Norsbank, uh, Thornburg and RRJ, and Vanguard as well, your top five shareholders, 
What do they say to you? I'm really fascinated in that conversation or what you can tell us about it, about why your shares are like the rest of Europe. I'm not picking on NN Group, just underwhelming in terms of their valuation as well. Well, what's the what's the quibble about why a, a, a solid company, great free cash flow, great growth, as you're just talking about it. Why are shares underwhelming in the, the performance? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good question. And indeed, we, we see this across Europe. I think there has been some pressure on companies that have a relatively high asset gearing, as we, as we call it. So the, the companies that are larger investors, you know, the, the rising interest rates, uh, uh, in the short term raise some, some questions on, you know, the, the, the attractiveness of investment, uh, uh, propositions. So indeed, we have seen some differences. Also, the European growth, uh, also actually for, for this year is expected to be a bit lower than, uh, than, for example, in the US where, you know, people are a bit more optimistic on, on the soft landing. So I think there, there's multiple factors that, that play a role here. But we're very focused on consistently delivering on our results. And I think with the, the strong operating capital generation that we have shown, the strong balance sheet, uh, and that we also are able to translate into, uh, into dividend and share buybacks, uh, we have increased our targets. Uh, we used to have a target of 1.8 billion. We have now increased it to 1.9 billion in terms of operating capital generation. And, and that also translates into cash because we also set a target of free cash flow of 1.6 billion in 2025. So I believe these combinations make it, uh, you know, a very attractive proposition. Uh, uh, and that's, uh, that's what we're focused on. No, fair enough. Look, um, Karen, I've been so well behaved. We've gone straight onto your investor relations page and we're reading through everything you've said there as well, including, and I like this line, I'm very interested. This is you, but I'm quoting here. A solid performance despite volatile macroeconomic and geopolitical environment. Can I play with that sentence and say solid performance because of the volatile macroeconomic and geopolitical environment? I.e., I think insurers are doing rather well uh, in upping premiums, uh, as indeed is the rest of the you know, elsewhere and ancillary sectors, because of the volatile environment. Is that fair, David? Well, I mean, the volatility obviously plays a role, but I think it's, it's, uh, I wouldn't summarize it like that because I would summarize it that, um, you know, what we do is we, we serve underlying needs of customers. And in our European business, this is mostly protection. Um, now, if you think about, you know, what type of protection people need it, and, and of course, we, we operate also in Central and Eastern Europe, and there is a big underpenetration of, of protection. So that means that people increasingly have become concerned, maybe also during COVID, uh, of how well am I protected if, I, if, if somebody in my family becomes sick, cannot work, or even passes away. And I think the underlying need for, um, uh, for protection products is very strong, and I think that has been driving uh, underlying our, our business business. In terms of volatility of capital markets, we don't take an interest rate position. We're very cash flow matched. That means that, and that's why we also have this stable balance sheet. So either, you know, if rates go up or down, we're not so sensitive to that. And that's also not uh, uh, the way we operate the company. We're really focused on the underlying need for, for customers. And that continues to be a, a positive trend given the need for protection and the need for uh, also a non-life and property and casualty products. David, I can see on page three you're talking about the use of AI and effectively improving the customer experience using data and AI. I've just been at a massive tech event in Europe and I can see firsthand how uh, features like uh, ChatGPT, that type of technology has been rolled out into devices and I can see very much providing a customer experience. But what does it mean in terms of actual revenue boosting numbers? Is this just all about efficiency and improving margins? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. And I think we're actually at the beginning of this whole AI uh, frontier. And, um, you know, we also as a company went through quite a cycle. And I think uh, we've landed in a very good place where most of the focus today of, of the benefits of AI and ChatGPT are actually on efficiency. So, for example, now if, if, if a customer calls us, ChatGPT will uh, uh, automatically make a summary of that call. And our colleague only has to, like, check it and, and then put it into our, uh, into our system. Uh, that saves around four minutes per call. We have AI using uh, email classification. It all sounds very simple, but we have a lot of customers that, that send us emails. And but with email classification, we can immediately get it to the right person. The next frontier is now customers filing in a claim. So, you know, if you have a claim, if you have an accident, customers can just take a picture and, and send that to us. Uh, but now with the new technology, also with AI, we can start assessing the damage you know, decide on whether we immediately pay it out or not, uh, but also get a claim estimate. So the efficiency of claim handling is, is going up. So, so you're right. I think right now a lot of the uh, benefits from AI are in efficiency. Going forward, I also expect a lot more of the commercial uh, uh, applications going. Uh, but I think some of that will um, will take time. And I'm, you know, I'm not one of the, the to speak of big hypes, but I do think practically the way we have been implementing AI already in our company, I am convinced that this will fundamentally change also our company in the, in the coming years. David, lovely speaking to you. Thanks for being our first guest on a very busy day today. David Knieber, who is the CEO of NN Group. So these markets on a global... I tell you what, why don't we just get straight to Arabile and he can talk us through some of the extraordinary moves we've seen month to date. Well, I mean, we've certainly got an extra day this year, haven't we? But the market is ta- making absolute use of that, hasn't it? I mean, it's, it's just been on the high then throughout this year. And February was no different. Two major talking points, really, for the month of February. One was that push for AI into profitability that has certainly been at play. On the other aspect, then, one must consider the pushback uh, when it comes to the rate easing path and what that means then for the market as well as the economy across the United States. And let's remember that you have unemployment in the United States at 3.7%. And while we wait today's PCE data, you still have had that previous push from inflation numbers that has kind of shown the strength of the U.S. economy, a hot U.S. uh, print in inflation. Even GDP in the fourth quarter, well, that was revised downwards to 3.2%. But that's still better than the first quarter as well as the second quarter uh, of last year. S&P Global Ratings even revising upwards their uh, expectations for U.S. economic growth in 2024. And that happened just last week. So it's clear reason for this market to move higher thus far. The S&P 500 it, uh, hitting all-time high after all-time high then uh, in February. No different. The counter pushing up 15 out of 17 times then. Uh, in the last uh, couple of weeks as well then. It's only happened in the last 50 years, in 1989. Of course, the tech counters were very significant to that move. NVIDIA being very important, month to date, up 26% uh, so far then for that counter. It's up 60% this year. The rest of the tech counters have moved significantly higher. Apple and Alphabet, though, just out of step. And again, that AI conversation being very important for them. Well... Bitcoin was also a big talking point then this month. That's because it moved past, and that was just yesterday, $64,000 for a Bitcoin then. That's a big move for a cryptocurrency that has now moved 40% just in the month of February. Let's remember that you did have the approval of the Bitcoin ETFs in the middle of January, 
And actually, you saw the price then of Bitcoin dip below 40,000 US dollars. But it's ramped up more than 60% since that mark and now sits just below that $64,000 mark thus far. Out in Asia then, there was also a significant amount of positivity uh, out of Asia, bolstered by a lot of reforms that happened out of Japan. You saw reforms out of China as well as out of South Korea pushing the Nikkei then to record levels again, breaking the highs of 1989 then. So you're seeing it up uh, nearly 8% then for the Nikkei. Chinese equities recorded their biggest gain in 14 months at some stage earlier this month. Authorities making all those efforts, of course, to try and stabilize markets out of China. The post-Lunar New Year rally does seem to be continuing. The Shanghai Composite recording its biggest jump since November 2022, the Hang Seng also in a buoyant mood, 7% to the good. European markets then, well, movements have been even broader across uh, Europe, actually. Record levels for both the CAC 40 as well as the DAX in Germany this month. Both of these uh, have been up almost 4% uh, as well in February. The CAC 40, as you can tell, nearly that 4% mark. The DAX just over 40%. Even the Italian market then, moving significantly higher to the rest than more than 6%. IBEX 35 on the FTSE, just sitting around that flat line. Well, it is still morning out of London, so would you like some granolas with your breakfast? Well, here we go. This is pretty much what you're seeing out of the top European stocks then thus far. You're seeing the likes of ASML, SAP, Novo Nordis sit to, towards the top end then of the stock 600 across uh, the market thus far, nearly 10% higher for LVMH. Uh, ASML nearly 9% to the good over there. On the downside, you did have the likes uh, of Roche, AstraZeneca, Nestle, and Sanofi. Karen. Aaron Bile, thank you very much for that. Uh, let me make the leap to the leap year. This is typically the day you'd have to duck and weave. Uh, well, <laughs> enough. Um, yes, you and I are both uh, uh, unavailable. <laughs> well, so, uh, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm very safe. L luckily, I don't think anyone's going to bid anyway, to be honest. Why is my work hubby, uh, you know, I'll well, keep, exactly, I'll keep safe. exactly. I'm, I'm, luckily, I'm married to two Karens in my life. Exactly. Keeps it, keeps it easy. Th that's plenty for me. No name issues. No name issues. Well, I think we should explain to somebody who have got no idea what you're talking oh, about. Oh, of course. Right. So every it's a, it's leap, year, leap year, apparently, and, women and, can propose to and, men. And it's not just tradition. It's a fact. It's, yes. it's in law. But ladies now can, uh, I suppose we're in the 21st century. I think it's rather, sec is it sexist in the 21st century just, to say that? I was just revising what happened. St. Bridget apparently insisted that St. Patrick, the patron saint of Ireland, give women the permission, uh, permission to propose to men on every leap year. Right. Oh, well, that's nice, isn't it? It goes that, back a fair that, way. That's another leap forward for equality, isn't exactly. it? Every fourth year, they get one day. Exactly. Great. Okay, moving on. So CNBC and independent research firm. Right. And CNBC <laughs> and Statista are teaming up for a second year to compile a list of the world's top fintech companies. This year will also include a separate list of the top insurtech firms globally. Nominations are now open. You can log on to cnbc.com to find out how to apply. Oh, very good. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.